Chapter Thirteen of the Sign of Silence by William LeCue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Thirteen: The Fugitive's Secret. Tenderly, I placed my love upon the couch and then rang the bell. In answer to my summons, the young Italian manservant appeared. Send Malik here quickly, I said. Miss Shand is not well. But say nothing of this to your mistress or to the other servants. You understand, Agisto? Certainly, sir, replied the smart young Tuscan, and a few moments later the door reopened to admit the thin-faced maid in black, wearing her muslin apron and gold-rimmed glasses. She dashed across to the couch in an instant and bent, looking into the white, immobile face of my well-beloved. I fear your mistress has fainted, Mallock, so I thought it best to call you. I have, unfortunately, imparted to her some news which has upset her. Will you please see after her? Of course, sir. I'll go and get some smelling salts and some water. And quickly the girl disappeared. Then, when she had gone, I stood before the inanimate form of the woman I loved so well and wondered what could be the real, actual truth. Her admission had taken me aback. She had confessed to visiting my friend, but had alleged that he had compelled her. Was she actually beneath some mysterious thraldom? Was she held in some secret bondage by the man I had trusted, and who was my best friend? The very suspicion of it filled me with a fierce, irresponsible anger, and I clenched my fist. Ah, I would find him and face him. I would clutch his throat and force the truth from his lips. And if he had betrayed me, if he had exercised any evil influence over Frida, then, by heaven, I would take his life. Malik bustled in the next moment, and sinking upon her knees began to apply restoratives. "'Tell your mistress that I will return after luncheon, if she will see me,' I said. "'Yes, sir. And, and tell her, Malik, to remain calm until I see her, will you?' "'Yes, sir,' answered the maid, and then I went out into the hall, struggled into my overcoat, and left the house. Out in Cromwell Road the scene, gray, dull, and dismal, was alas in accord with my own feelings. The blow I had feared had fallen. The terrible suspicion I had held from that moment when, upon the stairs at Harrington Gardens, I had smelt that sweet, unusual perfume, and heard the jingle of golden bangles, had been proved. She had actually admitted her presence there, with the man I had believed to be my friend, the man whom, up to the present, I had sought to shield and protect. I hailed a taxi, and not knowing what I did, drove to the reform. As I passed up the steps from Pall Mall, the porter handed me my letters, and then, heedless of where my footsteps carried me, I entered the big square hall and turned into the writing-room on the left, a room historic in the annals of British politics, for many a state secret had been discussed there by ministers of the Crown. Many a point of the Cabinet's policy had been decided, and also the fate of many a bill. The long, somber room with the writing-tables covered with blue cloth was empty, as it usually is, and I flung myself down to scribble a note, an apology for not keeping an appointment that afternoon. My overburdened heart was full of chagrin and grief, for my idol had been shattered by a single blow and only the wreck of all my hopes and aspirations now remained. In a week's time the coroner would hold his adjourned inquiry into the tragedy at Harrington Gardens, and then what startling revelations might be made. 
by that time it was probable that the police would be able to establish the identity of the accused and moreover with mrs petrie vengeful and incensed against frida might she not make a statement to the authorities if so what then i sat with my elbows upon the table staring out into pall mall which wore such a cold and cheerless aspect that morning what could i do how should i act ah yes at that moment i sat utterly bewildered and trying in vain to discern some way out of that maze of mystery i had not looked at the unopened letters beneath my hand but suddenly chancing to glance at them i noticed one in an unfamiliar feminine handwriting i tore it open carelessly expecting to find some invitation or other when within i found three hastily scrawled lines written on the note-paper of the great eastern hotel at liverpool street it read since i saw you something has happened can you meet again as soon as possible please wire me mrs petrie melbourne house colchester i gazed at the note in extreme satisfaction at least i had the woman's address yes after i had again seen frida i would see her and force from her lips the truth i rose quickly placed the other letters in my pocket without opening them and drove down to the city where i was compelled to keep a business appointment at half-past three Agisto admitted me to mrs shand's and in reply to my question told me that the signorina as he always called frida was in the morning-room dressed in a pale grey gown relieved with lace at the collar and wrist she rose slowly from a big armchair as i entered and came across to me her face pale drawn and anxious ah dearest i cried i'm glad to see you better are you quite yourself again now quite thanks was her low rather weak reply i-i felt very unwell this morning i-i don't know what was the matter then clinging to me suddenly she added ah forgive me teddy won't you there is nothing to forgive dear was my reply as placing my arm tenderly about her slim waist i looked into the depths of those wonderful dark eyes of hers trying to fathom what secret lay hidden there ah she ejaculated i know dear that though you affect to have forgiven me that you have not how could you possibly forgive i am not angry with you in the least frida i assured her quite calmly because you have not yet told me the truth i am here to learn it yes she gasped sinking into a chair and staring straight into the fire the short winter's day was dying and already the light had nearly faded but the fire threw a mellow glow upon her pale hard-set features and she presented a strangely dramatic picture as she sat there with head bent in shame ah yes you are here again to torture me i suppose she sighed bitterly i have no desire in the least to torture you i said standing erect before her but i certainly think that some explanation of your conduct is due to me the man whom you are to marry marry she echoed in a blank voice with a shrug of her shoulders her eyes still fixed upon the fire yes marry i repeated you made an admission to me this morning one of which any man would in such circumstances demand explanation you said that my friend had forced you to go to harrington gardens tell me why what power does that man hold over you ah no teddy she cried starting wildly to her feet no no she protested grasping my hands frantically don't ask that question 
spare me that spare me that for the sake of the love you once bore for me no i repeat my question i said slowly but very determinately ah no i i can't answer it i for a few moments a silence fell between us then i said in a low meaning tone you can't answer it frida because you are ashamed eh she sprang upon me in an instant her face full of resentful fire no she declared vehemently i am not ashamed only i-i cannot tell you the reason i went to harrington gardens that's all yours is to say the least a rather thin excuse is it not i asked what else can i say simply i can tell you nothing but you admit that you went to harrington gardens did you go more than once i asked very quietly she nodded in the affirmative and the last occasion was on the night when my friend was forced to fly eh i suggested i saw that she was about to elude answering my question therefore i added i already know you were there i have established your presence beyond the shadow of a doubt so you may just as well admit it i do she faltered sinking again into her chair and resting her elbows upon her knees you were there you were present when the crime was committed i said looking straight at her as i stood before her with folded arms whoever has said that tells wicked lies was her quick response you were in digby's room that night after i left i declared how do you know because the police have photographs of your fingerprints was my quiet reply the effect of my words upon her were electrical the police she gasped her face instantly pale as death do they know inspector edwards is in possession of your fingerprints i replied briefly then then they will suspect me she shrieked in despair ah teddy if you love me save me and she flung herself wildly at my feet clutching my hands and raising her face to mine in frantic appeal for that very reason i have returned here to you to-day frida i replied in a low tone of sympathy if i can save you from being implicated in this terrible affair i will but you must tell me the whole truth from the start then i may be able to devise a plan to ensure your security and i slowly assisted her to her feet and led her back to her chair she sat without moving or speaking for some moments gravely thinking then of a sudden she said in a hard hoarse voice ah you don't know teddy what i have suffered how i have been the innocent victim of a foul and dastardly plot i-i was entrapped i entrapped i echoed by whom not by digby kemsley he was not the sort of man he is your friend i know but if you knew the truth you would hate him hate him with as deep and fierce a hatred as i do now she declared with a strange look in her great eyes you told me he had forced you to go to his flat he did why because he wanted to tell me something to-to tell you what i refuse to explain i can't tell you teddy because it would be betraying his secret eh i remarked with bitterness and yet in the same breath you have told me you hate him surely this attitude of yours is an unusual one is it not you cannot hate him and strive to shield him at the same moment she paused for a second before replying then she said i admit that my attitude towards your friend is a somewhat strange one but there are reasons strong personal reasons of my own 
which prevent me revealing to you the whole of what is a strange and ghastly story. Surely it will suffice you to know that I did not conceal all knowledge of your friend and call upon him in secret all of my own free will. No, Teddy, I loved you, and I still love you, dear, far too well for that. I trusted you, Frida, but you deceived me, I replied, with a poignant bitterness in my heart, under compulsion, because— and she paused with a look of terror in her eyes. "'Because what?' I asked slowly, placing my hand tenderly upon her shoulder. She shrank from contact with me. "'No, I—I I can't tell you. It—it's all too terrible, too horrible,' she whispered hoarsely, covering her white face with her hands. "'I loved you, but, alas, all my happiness, all the joy of which I have so long dreamed, has slipped away from me because of the one false step, my one foolish action of which I have so long repented. Tell me, Frida, I urged, in deep earnestness, bending down to her. Confide in me. No, she replied with an air of determination. It is my own affair. I have acted foolishly and must bear the consequences. But surely you will not sacrifice our love rather than tell me the truth, I cried. Hot tears welled in her eyes, and I felt her frail form tremble beneath my touch. Alas, I am compelled, she faltered. Then you refuse to tell me. You refuse to explain why this man, whom I believe to be my friend, and to whom I have rendered many services, has held you in his thraldom? I exclaimed bitterly. End of chapter 13 Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks.com